Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, Late Kick on the Air. It is Thursday night. It's August 5th already, the year of our Lord, 2021. We have talked a lot about conference realignment. We've talked a lot about teams going here and teams going there. None of it tonight. You have my word, and I have the format right in my hand. Wall-to-wall college football, circa 2021. Camps are opening all over the place. We are going to the SEC. We're going to the big. We're going to all the conferences tonight. I mean, I am making sure that we're touching every part of the country tonight, and we are talking about everything from biggest questions in various conferences to fall camp sort of questions slash things to focus on. In case you can't tell, the energy level is ramped up a little bit around here because it is football season. There are actual camps opening, which means unlike months past. We get feedback. We're about to have whispers and intel segments for you starting next week where we are getting real time from people on the ground feedback on different camps. And I'm so excited to talk about that because I feel that, number one, a renaissance year of college football is upon us. And number two, there's a lot more balance even at the top of the sport at the beginning of this year than the preview magazine culture is leading you to believe. I've been asked by a lot of you. This is the best question you could ever be asked. We have Late Kick Live. You're watching it right now if you're on YouTube. We have it on YouTube. And, of course, we have the Late Kick Podcast. Now, I know some of you are new to the format, and some of you are just coming back because you chose to exercise your right to have an off-season. We didn't. We've been here the whole time. But if you're coming back, let me just remind you how this works. We do Late Kick Live starting next week. will be Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. If you missed the live show, you got the replay on the YouTube channel. And we cut up all those videos for you. But also, we have the Late Kick Podcast, and some of you have actually started asking me, what helps more? Would you rather me consume the show on YouTube or consume the show in podcast? The answer is thank you. That's not an answer, that's a response. But the answer is both, because there are products that you're going to get on the YouTube channel that you don't get in podcast. There are two mailbags per week that you get in the podcast that you don't get on Late Kick Live. And then here's the kicker. You're about to start getting a whole lot of stuff on Instagram and Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, that you don't get on either the podcast nor YouTube. So make sure you're following everywhere. We've been building this stuff up for months, so now it's finally time to start showing you some things. Really looking forward to it. So let's dive into the show tonight. I mean, if you're looking for a legitimate season preview type stuff and fall camp preview type stuff, this is the show you want to sink your teeth into. These are my favorite shows to do. Everyone's undefeated. You can speak optimistically about every program and get away with it. It's great. Here we go. Let's start in the SEC. Some of the biggest questions around this conference entering the 2021 season. We're fresh off the news out of Baton Rouge that Miles Brennan is going to miss a significant portion of the season with an arm injury. That was going to be, at the very least, a quarterback that was in the competition to start for LSU. Now, there was some smart money. Now, I'll admit I was on this side already. There was some smart money that was backing uh, Max Johnson. 
there is a false notion out there that nothing's really changed. You know, God bless Miles Brennan, hope he gets well soon. We don't wish ill of him at all, but there is there's some people that think, well, I was going to pick Max Johnson. I thought he was going to win the job anyway. So since Max Johnson's still healthy, as long as he stays healthy, nothing's changed. That's not true. A lot has changed. You just can't quantify it. So my first question when I'm looking at the SEC is where is this quarterback room at LSU? Even if the guy who was eventually going to go on to win the starting job is still healthy and cross every finger you have there that he stays healthy, there's no way to know what that extra few weeks of competition was going to do. There's no way to know that Max Johnson's not going to get a sprained thumb halfway through the third quarter of the UCLA game, and whereas you would have had Miles Brennan ready to come off the sideline, now you're going to have Garrett Nussmeyer. The point is, you don't know what changed yet. Now, we hope that that quarterback room is left unscathed, but think about how crazy and how radically this sport shifts on you. If we were to come out of, let's say, uh, February, and I were to tell you LSU's quarterback room's going to get pretty thin before the season, that would have been insane. Because at that point, you had four viable quarterbacks there. Conversely, if I were to tell you, now Georgia's defensive back room, they're going to have plenty enough experience. You would have said, that's insane. None of these guys have started at all. Transfer portal, injury, transfer portal injury again, that can change things really quick. So that's the first thing on my mind. Then we stay in the SEC West, and I want to look at Texas A&M for a second. Texas A&M does not have a schedule like, for example, LSU does. LSU starts on the road at UCLA. That spread's going to be under a touchdown. Alabama even starts against Miami, and while that spread will be above a touchdown, it's a legitimate opponent. Well, Texas A&M starts out, and they play Kent State, and then they play Colorado in, I think, Denver, and then they play New Mexico State at home. So my question for Texas A&M is not about the offensive line, period. It's about where is that offensive line going into week four? Because they have the luxury, do the Texas A&M Aggies, of sort of easing their way into the season. Not to disrespect any of the opponents, but they got the added benefit of being able to sort of find their footing. And it's going to be a sh- Here's what the shame would be. The shame would be if you're watching A&M this year and quarterback is never able to take the leap forward and that immense talent they have now at running back and wide receiver and tight end, if again, you assume health, they're not able to capitalize on that because the offensive line doesn't allow them to. It won't be baptism by fire. It will be a a slow immersion into the season. Now, that's good. For this particular group, that's good. But I want to know, by the time that Arkansas game rolls around, has that group gelled and solidified itself enough? Because the funny thing is, if you kind of listen to Jimbo Fisher and listen to some behind-the-scenes rumblings out of College Station, even though they're replacing a lot of guys, they feel good about the talent level. So it's not that they don't feel that they'll be adequate enough talent-wise. They just got to get repetition, game experience. There's no substitute for it. Well, Colorado, New Mexico State, Kent State, that's a good way to get it under your belt. Got to have it because otherwise there's a lot of talent that you're not going to be able to capitalize on. How about at Auburn? Where does Bo Nix start the 2021 season? I've done a lot of hits in and around Auburn. I've talked a lot about Auburn um, with a lot of different people, and always the question pertains to quarterback. Bo Nix was just voted, what was he voted, Colin? I think third team All-SEC. Do you believe Bo Nix is the third best quarterback in the SEC? I wouldn't go that far. To say starting in 2021, week one of this season, he will be the third best quarterback in the SEC, I don't feel that. So, So I have a few more questions But you guys know, if you watch this show, I'm a huge believer in the upside of Bo Nix, always have been since he was in high school. And so I don't think he necessarily did himself a whole lot of favors as a quarterback. 
committing to the system that he committed to, but he did that. That was his choice. So having said all that, that's in the past. Question for that new staff there, Brian Harson and of course Mike Bobo is the offensive coordinator. Some of you may not realize that if you've again if you've been away for the summer and you're coming back to the trough here, Mike Bobo is the offensive coordinator at Auburn. And I really wonder if on day one of camp they're taking steps forward instead of having to take some steps backward in sort of a a reprogramming of sorts and trying to take steps backward before we can take steps forward. You can't waste a day of camp with a multi-year starter doing that kind of stuff. And so I wonder where they're at. And I also wonder how the rest of, um, how the rest of this offense will allow them to progress. Because there is a school of thought around Auburn that what was once considered to be a nightmare scenario approaching in 2021 in their offensive line may not be nearly as bad as originally feared. And they may be okay to adequate to even above average and, and trust me, even though that sounds kind of kind of dark, no, no, no. If Auburn can have above average offensive line play this year, they have shot the moon. I mean, they have they have more than met the minimum baseline requirement that that coaching staff hopes they hit. So if that's the case, well, then what we're watching with Auburn is uh, quick reads, progression, confidence, ball placement, some of the things that you have not seen, the ability to stand confidently in the pocket, the things that you haven't seen. Some are on Bo Nix. Some have been on the offensive line. Some have been on play calling. You can divvy up the blame all you want to. But where is Bo Nix entering 2021? That's a big question. Is there a more well-positioned sleeper team in all of college football, much less the SEC, than the Missouri Tigers? Missouri, according to some of you. Who's the head coach at Missouri? Most of you know that's Eli Drinkwitz. How long has he been there? How long has he been there? Right off the top of your head, do you know the answer to that? The answer is one year. This is his second year there. Now, what have we heard a lot of people, and, and myself included, what have a lot of people found it necessary to say about certain teams last year? Coming off 2020, Penn State comes to mind, for example. LSU comes to mind. COVID disproportionately impacted some teams. In other words, some people, again, myself included, have been perfectly willing to make excuses for inadequate play last year. Have no problem with it. Again, it's a, it's a one-time only deal, but I've had no problem with it. Well, Missouri had a first-year head coach with not a lot of experience at the quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line positions. Defensively, they didn't have a lot they inherited. He walks in, and just like every other first-year coach, he doesn't get spring. I think they had two or three practices, and then they get the carpet yanked out from under him as they're trying to install new everything, culture, defensive systems, offensive systems, and they went 500 in an SEC year where you played 10 conference games, they managed to go 500. A huge feat that is overlooked right now. And so Missouri enters the year, whereas they played Bama and LSU last year. They played neither one of them this year. They get Texas A&M in Columbia the week after A&M plays Alabama. They've now got returning experience at quarterback. In Connor Bazelak, a guy I expect to take quantum leaps this year, especially considering the guy he's playing for. And also, they have experience now at wide receiver. They have experience now along the offensive line. And if Tyler Beatty ends up exceeding expectation, which is high for him at Missouri, but eh, relatively tame nationally, uh, this could be a really big surprise team this year. And so Missouri, you, we've used the term tall grass a lot the last few weeks. That is a classic predator sort of lurking in the tall grass. They are the Tigers after all. So watch 
for the eyes of Missouri out there in the tall grass. And lastly, with the SEC, can Alabama's defense be a game-changing unit? It's been a few years since we said this. Bama's got talent on defense. Bama had the number one statistical defense in the SEC last year, but it came with them giving up 19 points per game, and it also came in a year where their offense, even against Ole Miss, where they gave up nearly half a hundred defensively, they knew the offense could bail them out. Maybe that's the case again this year. Maybe it's not. I think they may need to take a more balanced approach this year to win every game they play. But with Bama, there was a year, it was either 15 or 16, they had this insane takeaway rate. They had turnovers. They had like a streak of consecutive games with turnovers. That's the kind of unit they're about to put on the field this year. Every level, they have a hellacious, potentially hellacious pass rush. I think quintessential to this defense's success is guys like Tim Smith, DJ Dale, who are not true freshmen, but those are guys that they're going to count on to make an impact on the interior. All of these linebackers are all SEC caliber. They have multiple all SEC, all American caliber guys in the secondary, and they have the ability to harass the quarterback and take the ball away. That's game changing. When your defense is capable of flipping games because they're taking the ball away and they're giving you added possessions, uh, that's the kind of defense I think Bama can have this year. And listen, again, we're, we're two years in now to a new strength approach over there and a conditioning and sports science approach. Injuries were way down last year. Nick Saban hasn't been shy about talking about that. So that's what I'm looking at in the SEC. That's not comprehensive. We'll have several more of these conversations before the season gets here. Moving right along. What about the Big Ten? Some biggest questions. Well, that sounds weird. How about this? Here's a new intro. Biggest questions, or at least some of them, in the Big Ten this year. I want to start in Penn State. I was doing a podcast with Tyler Donahue over at Lions 24-7 earlier this week, and we were talking about Mike Yursich, new offensive coordinator for those unfamiliar at Penn State. And he's replacing uh, a one-year stop in uh, offensive coordinator up there. And, and the talk right now, Kirk Sharaka, that I was stalling so I could remember his name. They're replacing Kirk Sharaka. And it's not that Sharaka was a disaster last year, just for, for a number of reasons that didn't work out. And so now Mike Yursich comes in. There is a thought that he is a better fit with the personnel they have up there. And Sean Clifford is the returning quarterback there, and they've, they've got a really good stable of running backs. But here's what we're watching. That's a very, very kind of on-the-ground view. With Penn State, I'm zoomed out a little bit more. And the question is, how much juice can Mike Yursich squeeze out of this offense? This is not an offense that has the kind of fire, firepower that, um, you know, that an Alabama had last year or something like that. No one's expecting that. But everyone has got potential. You've got a maximum potential. Every offense has a maximum potential. Penn State didn't come close to achieving their maximum potential offensively last year. So what I want to know about Yursich, and this is a this year moving forward sort of prism, I want to know how close they come to maximizing their potential. Because this accomplishes two things. Number one, when you look up and down Penn State's schedule, everything from the Wisconsin game to the Indiana game to the Iowa game, uh, you get later on in the season at Ohio State. You've got several games. Michigan comes in there where those point spreads are going to be tight and they're going to be either way, you know, touchdown or less, this is the answer as to which side of that win-loss column you fall in those games. And that's the difference in several games. We're talking about the difference between 10-2 and two and 7-5 and five here. And I don't expect 7-5 and five from Penn State, but if we get 10-2 and two or better, then we're talking about a maximization of potential offensively. The second thing that that accomplishes is all of a sudden, if I'm a quarterback of the future, if I'm wide receiver talent in the future and I'm watching that, then all of a sudden I'm saying, 
well, I don't care what I've been told and what my eyeballs have seen in the past because I'm not going to play at Penn State in the past. This point moving forward, this Yursich guy, maybe I can't spell his last name, but I can spell TD, and it looks like he can get me in the end zone a lot. That's something to watch with Penn State. How about Wisconsin? One of the teams I'm most excited to watch in the country this year is Wisconsin. And it's because I know what the identity or the perception of Wisconsin's identity is, with good reason. It's been that since forever. It is ground and pound, ball control, play solid defense, uh, some greater than the total of the individual parts. Maybe that's Wisconsin again this year, and that works for them now. But I think the ceiling is a little bit higher offensively this year. I think the explosive potential of this passing game is unlike anything that we've seen Wisconsin put on the field. They were on their way to doing it last year. It is my belief that Wisconsin was on their way to doing it last year. And then Danny Davis is out. And then Kendrick Pryor is out. These are two receiver talents who are returning this year. Graham Mertz, a lot of these guys who were on the field at least for the first week, they dazzled. They had a standalone game to open the season. I want to say it was Illinois. Whoever it was, they lit them up. And then COVID ravaged the team. And you never saw this team. Injuries and COVID prevented you from seeing the Wisconsin Badgers and what they could have been last year. Well, now that we got all that mess out of the way, we get to see him this year. And we get to see him in high-profile matchups early on in the season. And that's why I don't think it's going to take very long. Paul Chris takes over those play-calling duties. It's not going to take very long to know where Wisconsin stands. And what you may be doing is you may be watching and you're looking at the bottom line on your TV screen as you're watching another game. And, you know, instead of those usual 13-6 to halftime Wisconsin, all of a sudden you see Wisconsin's got 24 on the board. Man, Wisconsin got 27 on the board at halftime. I must have turned the ball over a lot. No, no, it just says Mertz has three touchdown passes. Wow, what are they doing? Well, they're up in the tempo, and they're up in the explosive rate of this offense, I think, is what they're going to do this year. How about Ohio State? General question here, because we talked a lot about the specific quarterback element, but this ties into C.J. Stroud and, and the whole separate talking point that you could have with the Ohio State quarterback room with Mr. Ewers coming into town. When will Ohio State hit stride? All these elite teams, they eventually hit stride, whatever stride is going to be for that year. When will it be hit for Ohio State? This is not a Texas A&M situation. Ohio State does not ease into the season. They got a conference road game to open the year at Minnesota, and then they've got Oregon at home the very next week. And those are two teams that are capable of beating you if you don't play to the level that you're capable of playing to. So where is the stride? You know, and we're talking about multiple facets here. We're not just talking about offense. We're not just talking about C.J. Stroud and maybe a a young presence at running back and a couple of other new guys we got to break in with all the potential in the world, but they're still young. And that secondary and that linebacking core and wondering, you know, are we going to be on skates early in the season there? Multiple facets. When is the stride going to be hit? Now, whenever this team does hit its stride, they're capable of winning a national title. But we've seen this in the past. We've seen it before. You'll have a team that eventually wins a title. I mean, have some of the ugliest games in the world early in the season. Bama's done it. Ohio State has done this. When will they hit their stride? And that's very open-ended. And then fourthly, and this is about Nebraska, what is the path for Scott Frost this year? What is success for them? I got their records here. Uh, they've gone 4-8, and 5-7, and 3-5 and five last year. What's the path this year? Martinez is back at quarterback. Everyone wants to assume help for everyone. We can hope for help for him. But... They've got a chance to open 3-0. and uh, They play, I, they've got three winnable games to open the season. I think they got Illinois, got Buffalo. But then these stretch of games, this stretch of games that comes up, 
Find me the path. Because their over-under win total in Vegas is six right now with a little bit of juice tilted towards the over. They got to go to Oklahoma. That's an out-of-conference game. They go to Michigan State. They got Northwestern. They've got Michigan. They go to Minnesota. They've got Ohio State. They go to Wisconsin. They got Iowa. Brutality. And so this is not the second year for Scott Frost. This is his fourth year at the helm. And there are a lot of people, nice as can be, patient as can be, who are growing impatient in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so I want to know what the path is. And and what will an upgraded Nebraska team be capable of doing, I guess is what I'm trying to ask there. Something has to click. Like something different has to... So you have to have a different feel, I guess is the way I'm trying to say it, to this year's Nebraska team. Because whatever the initial approach was, we have seen the results now. Uh, that's not a small sample size. That's three years worth of sample size. So those are some of the questions I'm asking about the Big Ten going into 2021. Okay, this is where it really gets fun. So fall camps are opening all over the place. Some of them have already opened. Pretty much all of them will be open by this weekend. And we waste no time. This time next week, we'll be doing our full-on camp buzz, early whispers and intel, which is some of the funnest times on this show at any point in the year. But right now, some things to watch as camps are opening up. Put your ear to the ground and listen close for the early buzz out of Chapel Hill. North Carolina has rarely entered a season with expectation levels this high. They're merited. I think they're warranted. But I'm looking at two things. The first is the running back position, which has been well documented on this show by this point. Ty Chandler, Coming to North Carolina by way of Tennessee, one of the biggest hinge players in America this year because there is a lot disproportionately riding on his shoulders if North Carolina is going to achieve anything close to what we think they're capable of because he's replacing a whole lot. They, they got to replace a whole lot of production there. I think he can, but still got to do it. And then the second part with North Carolina is start listening to what the early feedback is on this defensive line. This time last year, the North Carolina insiders and a lot of coaches with the program, they knew they didn't have what they needed up front defensively. They, they knew that. There was no mystery. They weren't surprised by their inability to stop uh, bigger, more physical teams. They sing a different tune right now. They think there are eight or nine guys that they feel comfortable rolling with. Now, they return everyone. But then you have the classic, well, if you return everyone from a poor unit, are you really doing anything? Well, when you add depth to it, maybe you are. You know, because I can take a good player. If I'm playing him 90 snaps, he's not a good player. His production's not going to be good. But when I add Javari Ritzy, when I add Keyshawn Silver, big-time recruits now that are going to have to play as freshmen, but I think physically they're probably ready to play as freshmen, watch that defensive line. You know, watch all of a sudden early in the season if you're seeing them get a couple more three and outs than you used to see it. Watch on short yardage situations if they're able to stand up against the run. That kind of stuff should raise your eyebrow. But before you get to the season, you get the feedback from camp. And you will get feedback. North Carolina is covered very closely. You will start to get some feedback there. Let's go down to Gainesville, Florida. What about the Florida defense? A name that has popped up a couple of times with people close to Florida is Daquan Newkirk. Now, he transferred from Auburn. He's an interior defensive lineman. Transfer from Auburn, I think we bumped him up inside the top 50 of the transfer portal rankings in the final 24-7 rankings. Him... And Gervin Dexter on the interior, and then you throw out names like Brenton Cox, and you throw out names like Zach Carter, that is an on-paper, all-American caliber unit. I say on paper because we do this with a lot of teams every year. A lot of teams you look and you say, 
if it, whoa, 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 look at all these names. If every one of those guys lives up to their potential, that's going to be a really good team. That's correct. If every one of these guys stays healthy and lives up to their potential, Florida will have a very stout defensive front. Very stout. Now, of course, we know the games aren't played on paper, and so that's why you start paying attention to fall camp, and you start paying attention to some of those early scrimmage um, reports and whatnot, and and is anyone sidelined? Is anyone missing a couple of days? So there's that. And then, of course, look at Florida secondary. I think that's been talked about in every preview magazine in the country. Uh, Jason Marshall, very excited to see him get on the field at corner. But you've got a couple of new guys now. Trey Dean is not technically new, but he's going to have to play a lot more minutes. Uh, Rashad Torrance. So there are some guys in the secondary that are going to have to be broken in for Florida. And then you'll have that whole classic, if you're hearing good things about the secondary, is it because Emory Jones can't move the ball? If you're hearing bad things about the secondary, uh, is it just because Emory Jones is torching everybody? Either way, the optimist and the pessimist will have plenty to chew on from Florida fall camp. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How about at Alabama? I want to talk about quarterback, but his name's not Bryce Young. Let me uh, preface this. Colin, let me know if I'm not clear enough. There is no quarterback controversy at Alabama. Never has been and never will be this year. It's Bryce Young's job wire to wire, barring injury or whatever. Having said that, I want to see and start to listen to some of the feedback about Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow is a guy who came in, he was a four-star guy, certainly not overlooked, but I think because of the nature of Alabama's signing class, and, and the last couple of signing classes really, just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Jalen Milrow would have been the crown jewel of many a recruiting class in the top 10. He is a bona fide stud quarterback, dual threat in every sense of the term, out of Texas, and um, he's a tank. They list him at 6'2", like 205. I don't believe that. He just plays a lot bigger than that if he is only 205. But I was listening to Nick Saban talk. I I think he was doing Chuck Oliver's show at SEC Media Days. Nick Saban and I have that in common. We both do that show a lot in in no particular order. And and, and Nick Saban said something that caught my ear. He said, Milrow is one of the fastest players on our team. Now, friends, the University of Alabama has a whole lot of speed on campus. And this dude, who who is a small-sized truck, and is going to play quarterback for them eventually, also happens to be one of the fastest on the team, according to a pretty good source, and that being the head coach. Um, My point is, if they can trust him to handle the ball, they're going to find a way to put Milrow on the field this year. I don't doubt that. So the thing to listen to in camp, kind of like when Tua first arrived on campus, 
It wasn't, is he going to be the starter in week one? You just start to listen for the buzz. And you start to listen. You go over to BamaOnline.com and you start reading those Charlie Potter practice reports. You start listening to Tim Watts and Travis Ryer and those guys. And they start talking about some, some feedback and some nuggets and whispers. And the way this will happen is you'll have phrases like, Jalen Milrow is going to be hard to keep off the field. Jalen Milrow again stood out in today's scrimmage. Jalen Milrow showing a lot of versatility. Listen for those kinds of phrases because that is key for this guy's going to see a lot of action this year. Not, not at the expense of Bryce Young, but they'll find a way. So keep that in mind. And then lastly, I want to know where Oregon's quarterback room is. You know, Anthony Brown's going to be the starter here. Mario Cristobal has gone out of his way to make that clear. But let's talk about the future because past this year, it gets really interesting for them. Ty Thompson comes in. He's a true freshman. And so early on, understandably so, the talk was, will Ty Thompson come in, high four-star out of Arizona, and will he be able to overtake Anthony Brown? Well, early on, no, that's not what's happening. And, and even more so, it doesn't look like Ty Thompson has locked up the number two spot there. But that's not a bad thing because that's all relative to how thick the quarterback race is and how deep the quarterback position is. Well, it's pretty deep there. It's, it's, in fact, it's very deep. So you got Anthony Brown, who has come there by way of Boston College, second year there. He's played a ton of minutes, and so he's very experienced. But Ty Thompson, I want to watch week one of fall camp versus week four of fall camp. Who's he running with? Is he running with fours? Is he splitting reps with threes? Is he, is he with the twos? Is he getting some looks with the ones, even though we know Anthony Brown's going to start? But Robbie Ashford has been very dependable for them. Uh, Jay Butterfield has been very dependable for them. So Oregon, not only are they in a good quarterback situation to begin with, but that's also one of those sort of transfer hot spots to watch, as is Columbus, Ohio. Um, yeah, a number of places fit this description where you got multiple legitimate players. Only one of them can start. Just keep an eye on that. I'm very interested with Oregon. All right, the last thing I wanted to touch on here is pressure. We talk about pressure a little bit different on this show. Most of the time, this, this time of year, everyone talks about pressure in terms of hot seat. But I think there's a lot of pressure at some places where there is no hot seat talk. So there's a job security pressure, and then there's just competitive pressure, but it's all pressure. So I wanted to touch on a combination of all of those factors here. Which programs are under the most pressure heading into 2021? Now, Michigan fits both. Uh, this is absolutely competitive pressure but there is job security pressure on the line. And I, I think that's clear. The good thing about it, at least, is I don't think that we're heading into the season with Michigan with a lot of uncertainty. It seems everyone understands we're on the same page, that there is a certain bar that we need to reach this year, if I'm on the coaching staff there. There's a certain bar that we need to reach. Fans understand it. Players get it. Coaches get it. The nation gets it. What is the bar? I don't know. I don't always think it is defined as just a win-loss number. Nine and three is good enough. Eight and four is not good enough. I don't always think it's that. Uh, because you, what if you go eight and four, but you beat Ohio State at the end of the year? You go nine and three, but get blown out by them. Like, wh which year was really better? And so you're not always what your record says you are in college football is what I'm saying. So having said that, there is immense pressure here. And with Michigan, this is not some schedule that's really backloaded to where we're going to have to wait for a while to see what they're about. They play Washington in week two. They're going to be a dog at home in week two. And there are several games kind of scattered throughout the schedule. I mean, they got a game at Nebraska that falls in a very tough stretch. And so my point is, if things are dramatically improved, 
I think McNamara is going to start at quarterback for him up there. Of course, you got J.J. McCarthy eventually in the mix. Uh, they feel like they are more equipped at wide receiver to attack defenses this year. At least that's what you're going to hear early on. Now, we got to watch the games and see whether that's true. If all that happens, then they can beat all those teams. Maybe not Ohio State. We're not going to predict that. But they're capable of beating all the other teams. But if it's not, if you have more of what brought them a grand total of two wins last year, if you have that caliber of play, you could go from on one side of the coin surging into the latter portion of the season, still in Big Ten title conversation, or on the negative side, they could be out. That coaching staff could be out before the end of the year. And there's a lot of variance. And Michigan's a pretty stable program. So we're not used to talking about them like that. But this is a year to watch that. I mean, how do you not squeeze USC into this conversation? Huge pressure on Southern Cal. If you didn't already believe it, the coaching staff confirmed it for you when they took, I want to say it was nine, at least nine, transfer portal players. And I referenced one time, I'll do it again, Chris Hummer had a really good piece over on 247sports.com uh, probably about a month ago at this point, maybe a couple months ago, where he was talking to someone inside Southern Cal, and he was asking about their approach. And the feedback was, well, this isn't our approach. It's not like we have a blueprint where we're going to fill up a fifth of our roster with transfer portal players every year, but we had to. Circumstances dictated that we did it this year. Well, they did. And these aren't just depth providers and role players. They got guys that are going to start. They got a number of guys out of that portal that are going to be integral to a Pac-12 South race this year. And I don't put it like this very often, but I feel comfortable saying it about USC. The schedule lines up for them. If they were allowed to make their schedule, they wouldn't have put it together much differently than the schedule makers did. I don't think they would have given Utah rest before they play them. But outside of that, man, this thing's lined up very well. They would never trade schedules with UCLA is what I'm saying. And so if they don't win the Pac-12 South this year, changes are going to be... Changes are going to be made there. And I don't think anyone could argue against it. Certainly Southern Cal fans aren't going to. But it's very interesting to watch this because on one hand, you know what you think. Everyone has an opinion already of Clay Helton. Everyone has an opinion of this program. And so the question becomes, is there anything that can be done this year to change someone's perception? Like if you're, if you're high on them, if you believe in Clay Helton, it would probably take a sub-500 year to change your mind at this point. And if you're not high on him, is he really capable of putting together a double-digit win season, an 11-win season at that this year, which would be what's necessary? Because you got to see him do more. you got to see him win the Pac-12. you got to see him in the playoff. You've already seen him float around eight or nine wins. You've already seen him play for the Pac-12 championship. You're just looking at a window right now with an inferior Pac-12 as a whole and yet, instead of taking advantage of it like Clemson's doing on the other side of the country, you are contributing to the state of the Pac-12. So watch that. Now, here is a completely different situation. At Georgia, there is no job security pressure. It's all competitive pressure. But yet, this is the most unique situation for any fan base of any major program in America this year. Because Georgia is flying at an altitude that 97% of the country would envy. I mean, the only places where they don't look at Georgia and say, oh, I trade places with them immediately is, is Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, places like that. Almost everywhere else, I mean, you could mention Oklahoma, you can mention a couple of other teams, but outside of almost everywhere, including everyone else outside of those programs, rather, when you look at Georgia, you say, boy, I'd love to have what they have. Georgia fans don't care, really, in all 
due respect, how you feel about the program. Because what they're looking at is they're saying, okay, but we're not Bowling Green. We're not Oklahoma State. We're Georgia. Uh, We invest this much. We're located here on the map. We have this big a stadium. We have this level of immaculation, is that a word, of facilities. Anyway, and we invest emotionally to this degree. We want a return on it. And we've already seen literally everything else. We've seen recruiting classes get stocked on top of recruiting class. We have won the division. We've gone to play for the SEC championship. We've done that. We've gone to the playoff, tried to win a playoff game. We've done it. We've gone to a national championship game. They couldn't even beat us in regulation. We had to go to overtime. We have literally done everything you can do in this sport under this regime except win a title. And so that literally equals championship or bust. When I say bust, though, I do not mean it in the sense that if it's bust, then that means you just clean house. That's ignorant. And so championship or bust means championship or these folks are not happy. Now, you don't find that really anywhere else. Some people like to say that, but you really don't find that anywhere else. Even in Alabama, if they weren't to win a title this year, what what are you going to do? Are you going to get mad even though your most recent title is less than uh, 12 months in the rearview mirror? No. At Georgia, you got folks out there who have 10-year-old children that weren't alive last time they won a national championship. So it's just, it's a different world. I, I grew up in this state. It's a different mentality. That is the very pinnacle of competitive pressure in college football this year. And the last one I want to mention is Miami. Miami is going to be fun to watch because they're going to play Bama early. Most of you will not expect them to win that game. They could lose it and accomplish a lot to me. I was doing the Inside the U podcast with David Lake the other day, and we were talking about that specifically. Outside of just pulling the outright upset, what does Miami need to show? Well, they need to show that they don't just get physically put on skates like they did against Clemson last year. You know, because otherwise there was a lot to write home about from the Miami season last year. I think Miami was better last year than a lot of people remember it. And Manny was Manny Diaz was building off a 2019 year where they went six and seven. It was the most misleading six and seven I think I've seen in a long time. Because every one of the losses was one possession, and then one of the other losses was by 10 points. They didn't get blown out a single time. It, it was all close games. And then last year happened, and no one really knows what to make of last year with a number of programs. Yet they had the number two passing efficiency offense in the ACC. Uh, Derek King's back this year. Rhett Lashley's another year in. You have reason to be optimistic in almost every position group they have. And now it's time to play. So they're going to play Bama. Let's say for argument's sake they lose. Pressure gets ramped up. Even if it's Bama, if you lose, no one likes losing the opener. Then they're going to play a tricky stretch that you won't be paying attention to. They're going to play Appalachian State. They're going to play Michigan State. Uh, I think they've got a directional school somewhere in there. They play Virginia on like a Thursday. None of those games are going to have your attention, unless you're a Miami fan. Then they're going to go into a bye week. And then they've got North Carolina on the road, which is a game we've circled in the ACC. And that's the next time they'll really pop on the national radar. Do they take care of business? Between that Alabama game and going into Chapel Hill, have they taken care of business? Because that dictates the terms of that game. And it also answers the question in all likelihood of, whether your ACC title hopes will still be alive and therefore whether your backdoor playoff hopes still be alive. But Miami's going to be a fun team to watch this year because there is reason, there is reason to believe if a couple of very seeable dominoes fall, that's a team that could jump up into the top 10 that will not be in anyone's top 10 in the preseason. So those are some programs, I think, under pressure. Some of it job security, some of it competitive, but a lot of pressure. That is a wrap for our show tonight. Really good show. Uh, very, very quick hitting tonight. like these. 
I appreciate so much the traction you guys are giving us. Oh my goodness. I mean, in the middle of the summer, and our numbers, our podcast numbers, leave you with a little stat here. I'll put it at the end. Management's already tuned out, so I'm allowed to say it. You know our podcast numbers grew 46% over the last 60 days in the middle of the deadest portion of the year? Nearly, our audience nearly grew 50% over the last two months. And now we're entering the portion of the season where anyone who's been taking a break is coming back. And so what I'm telling you is the reason that happened is not because of us marketing the show. We don't. You do it. So you have let other people know, and you yourself have listened, but I, can, I know word of mouth when I see it in the analytics. So from all of us to you, as genuine as I can make it sound, thank you. Please continue. Share this stuff all over Twitter, Instagram. Tag me in it, and I'll put it out there as, as much as I can. I try and retweet as much of that as I can. But thank you. And Director Colin wants to say thank you, but he doesn't have a mic in there. And the folks down in Fort Lauderdale, they want to say thank you too, but I'm going to do it from all of them and me to you. Thank you. Have yourselves a great early start to the weekend, and God bless. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.